You're listening to Alamo City Limits Podcast with Noah McGarrow-George, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock in SB Nation. What's going on, Spurs fans? Welcome back to Alamo City Limits, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. As always, I'm your host, Noah McGarrow-George, and that's my co-host, Damian Bartonek. How are you doing on this spectacular Friday, man? I'm doing well, brother. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Glad to just be chopping it up about some Spurs hoops, some All-Star stuff. I'm really, really excited, bro. Like, All-Star weekend is supposed to be so much fun. And this just reminds me, just me and you, you know, chatting it up, just reminds me of just a barbecue with a beer in our hand, just chilling. So I'm excited, brother. Let's do it. Yeah, and just so our listeners are in the loop, we're recording this podcast on Friday, February 18th at about noon central time, a little bit later than that, but just about noon central time. But let's go ahead and jump into the silver and black content because we have a very different and very special episode in store for you as your San Antonio Spurs hit the 2022 All-Star break. As we all know by now, DeJounte Murray was selected for the All-Star game as an injury replacement for Draymond Green after putting together what might be one of the most impressive and statistical lines in franchise history. I don't know. That's just how I feel about it. And this man is a nightly triple-double threat from the point guard position. He's been on a tear since February began. So without any further ado, let's kick things off beginning with the question, how does DeJounte's first All-Star season stack up against other first-time All-Stars across franchise history? Dame, I'll go ahead and throw it to you, and we'll look at everybody who's ever been a first-time All-Star with the San Antonio Spurs specifically. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and tackle the first half, and then you can tackle the second half. Uh, So David Robinson in year one, uh, at age 24, averaged 24.3 points, 12 rebounds, 2 assists, 3.9 blocks, which after doing research yesterday, Noah, dude, I had the same exact reaction. (laughs) I was like, how? Four blocks per game is nuts, (laughs) 1.7 steals, right? Tim Duncan, year one, age 21, 21.1 points, 11.9 rebounds, 2.7 assists, 2.5 blocks per game. Uh, George Gervin, year five, age 24, you know, 23 points, 5.5 rebounds, 2.9 assists, 1.3 blocks, 1.3 steals. Kawhi Leonard, age five, or year f- age five, <laughs> Lord have mercy. If you may, if you're the all-star year five, God, age five is crazy. But no, year five, age 24, uh, you know, 21.2 points, 6.8 rebounds, 2.6 assists, 1.8 steals, and 1.0 blocks. And then finally, right, the meat and potatoes, the star of this, uh, of this you know, portion of the show, DeJounte Murray, year six, age 25. 19.9 points, 9.3 assists, 8.3 rebounds, 2.0 steals. The one thing that really stuck out to me, though, kind of going through this half so far, is DeJounte's on track in terms of the year and the age um, and just the overall experience level of making his first All-Star team. He's on track with, you know, the bulk of these guys outside of Tim Duncan. You know what I mean? Not to say he's going to be the next Spurs great, right? Sure. But yeah, in yeah, terms yeah. of impact, overall stuff in the stat sheet, and, and really doing everything that the Spurs have asked from him, I'm really impressed with where he stacks up compared to these guys because these guys were all um, in, in kind of similar roles, right? Every guy that I just mentioned was the Spurs' best player, in my opinion, when they made the All-Star team. I think, yeah. you know, even the, the later half, you know, maybe as well. But more so this half, every every player was in the same spot DeJounte's in, and they shined. And I think he's shining right now as well. Uh, in my in my last post for uh, Pounding the Rock on the, you know, the Bulls preview I wrote, I compared DeJounte to Matt Stafford and Lamar Jackson. And I think in the and you know in the case of Matt Stafford and Lamar Jackson, they work really well within their scheme, right? Really well within the structure of their offense. And it's the same with a guy like Dejounte Murray. He fits very well what the Spurs ask, what the Spurs what the Spurs need from him. So in in totality, I really like you know how he's played this year. I think he stacks up very well against you know these guys that, that you know these 
all-time great players in Spurs history. Uh, and he's on that trajectory, man. I mean, because this is just year six for him, age 25. And this is really, no, the first year that we've seen from him playing as the guy in San Antonio, right? This is his first season as the engine, and maybe he's not best suited for that role. But right now, Noah, if you told me, you know, coming into the year, DeJounte's going to be doing these kind of things, stuff in the stat sheet, and eventually making the all-star team in year, you know, year one as the Spurs engine, I would have I would have looked at you crazy. I would have been like, wow, that's a that's a very <laughs> bold take. So, uh, and, and for me, Noah, I'm really impressed with DeJounte. I think he stacks up very well. Um, not to say, again, that he's going to be the next Spurs all-time great, but I'm really impressed with DeJounte this season. Yeah, I'm impressed with DeJounte Murray. I think where I would push back a little bit where saying he's on pace with these guys is, you know, Tim Duncan was 21, Tony was 23, George Gervin was 24 for his first NBA All-Star appearance, but he had actually had three ABA All-Star appearances before that, so he was also a first-time All-Star in the ABA at age 21. David Robinson was 24, so he's like closer to that age range, so is Kawhi Leonard, but it's important to remember you know, David Robinson did two years of service with the Navy before he joined the Spurs, and he came in like pretty much MVP candidate right away. Like, <laughs> I, I don't think DeJounte Murray, again, we're not saying he is or isn't an MVP candidate or anything like that, but I, I don't really think he's on that same level. And then you look at the rest of these guys, I think the biggest differentiator is Tim Duncan came in year one. Obviously, he had David Robinson. There was a pretty good setup for him, so it's not the same situation as, as DeJounte Murray is in right now. But Tim Duncan came in. They turned it around. Biggest single-season turnaround in NBA history for any franchise. Tim Duncan spurred that, right? Really, really good. Led them to the playoffs. Obviously, they lost to the Utah Jazz in the first round that year, but it was the start of something really special. David Robinson, same thing. Led the Spurs to the playoffs. Kawhi Leonard led the Spurs to the playoffs. Established himself as one of the best players in the NBA, and even though he's not a Spur anymore, you know, clearly a top-five player. George Gervin, one of the best scorers in NBA history. Led the Spurs to the playoffs. So you're looking at all these teams. And again, I'm not saying that DeJounte's in a similar situation. His supporting cast is probably not as good as these guys were, if we're being honest. But the Spurs are 13 games under 500. They'll probably finish the season like 15, 16, 17 games under 500. And so for me, the big differentiator, like I mentioned, is just the his impact. While I think the numbers are really pretty, and I do believe he's very impactful. Really good defender. Pretty good score, really solid facilitator, does everything that you want him to do, especially in a role that's maybe not ideal for him. But I don't think he's a transcendent talent like the guys that we just mentioned. And the other thing that I will say about them is you look at the field goal percentage, Tim Duncan, 55% from the field. George Gervin, 54% from the field. David Robinson, 53% from the field. Kawhi, 51% from the field, 44% from three, higher volume of three-point attempts, and all of them take more free throw attempts. You look at DeJounte, out of all the All-Stars, and we'll go through the rest of them too because we're going to end up going through 10 guys, which is a nice pretty round number. I know we like round numbers here. <laughs> DeJounte Murray has the lowest field goal percentage of any All-Star or first-time All-Star in Spurs history. So I think he has quite a way, and it's not close. Like the, the the next guy next to him, and we'll get into that guy later, Larry Keenan, who I think is sort of forgotten in Spurs history, used to be like the bat or the, the Robin to uh George Gervin's Batman. His field goal percentage was in like the 47-ish, 48% range. DeJounte Murray is under 46%. So I'm not saying that like he's not as good as these guys. I think he actually, if we look at all 10 of these guys, he's probably like smack dab in the middle, which is a perfect place to be when you've got, you know, perennial all-stars and hall of famers. That's really good company to be in. 
but I don't think he's quite in the same tier of players that we just talked about. I don't know. What, what do you feel about that? Am I being unfair? Am I Because, again, I, I, I'm not saying that he has to be a Hall of Famer to, to be successful. He's really good right now. Like, DeJounte yeah. Murray, really, really, really good right now. Yeah, I think one thing for me when I was mentioning his trajectory and where he's at right now is obviously every circumstance, every scenario is different, right? Uh, and I think for DeJounte especially, he came in as such a raw player, especially on the offensive end. I think for him to, to beat where he's at right now, he's matching their trajectory in terms of constant improvement. And as the Spurs' best player, he does, I mean, he's clearing away their best player and he's playing like it. And he's, yeah. although the Spurs, like you mentioned, this group is not as good as you know the supporting cast of, of a Duncan or, or a Kawhi or whatever the case may be, right? But considering that, I'm impressed with where he's at, and I think he's on that trajectory of potentially being, you know, that that one B player that we think that he is. Because I don't think he could be, you know, that transcendent, you know, ultra, you know, engine of an offense like a Trey Young or Luka Doncic or whomever, right? But I think right now, for where he's at, where he started at, to where he is today, I think he's on that trajectory of, you know, of potentially being a guy that can be remembered in Spurs history like these guys. Not to say, you know, a Jersey retirement guy or anything Oh, I don't like know. That, Honestly, someone, I will say yeah. that. I will like yeah. on the trajectory yeah. he's on right now, yeah. if the Spurs end yeah. up being good, which I fully think they will at some point while he's here, I could see his jersey going up. I yeah. mean, no no offense to Avery Johnson and no mm-hmm. offense to like the the Bruce Bowens of Bruce the world, Bowen, yeah. but like <laughs> if DeJounte Murray's jersey isn't retired by the time he's done with his career in San Antonio, I would be very surprised, and I also would be surprised if he doesn't challenge Tony Parker for maybe that that spot as the best point guard in franchise history. He has a long way to go to get there, but as you mentioned, like his trajectory has been really stellar since he entered the league. I don't know if anybody works harder than him in this franchise right now, or even in the league right now. Maybe outside of like the Giannis's and Jimmy Butler's, like he's in that tier of like put your nose down, put your head down, you know, grind it out, put in the work, get in the gym. So. Yeah, again, I'll, I'll let you finish, but yeah, I do think, I wanted to throw out there, I know it might be a hot take, but I do kind of think his jersey will go up in the rafters at some point once he's done in San Antonio. I just think he's too good right now for that not to happen. Yeah, so we have some middle ground there. As he's clearly you know, an ascending talent. I think we, me and you both agree on that. Um, in terms of how transcendent or you know, elevating those around him he is right now, that's still to be determined, right? But I think, uh, speaking about Tony Parker that you just mentioned, uh, for him, year five, age 23, obviously kind of a little bit of different scenario here. Um, you know, he averaged 18.9 points, 5.8 assists, 3.3 rebounds, one steal per game. I mentioned DeJounte and specifically that group, why I, I kind of halved it like that was because, you know, although you laid it out perfectly for me, um, I think for DeJounte and where he's at right now, the he, he's the Spurs best player. In Tony Parker's first year or Monty Ginobili, another guy that I really love, right, Sean Elliott. Those guys were your complementary pieces, and I think DeJounte is that piece for you right now. So, again, back to my trajectory point is that's where I'm really kind of interested to see where he goes from here. Because right now, I think he's potentially more, he's going to be more quote-unquote important or quote-unquote impactful if he's going to be the Spurs 1B or you know potentially sometimes the best player on the floor, right? Uh, but I'm just really curious, Noah, where he goes from here. Because right now... He's playing some really good hoops, man. I mean, his month of February has been, you know, sensational. Uh, so I don't know about you, man. I just think right now where DeJounte's at and as far as where he's going from here, it, the, the possibilities are endless. Could he be that guy that we say that we don't really think he is? Sure, but right now the Spurs do have something serious with him. And if he's that 1B player, man, 
I mean, all, like we've been saying, all you need is that piece. All you need is the main entree here. So that's kind of where I'm standing. And I think that's a fine place to stand. And I want to look at the rest of the first-time All-Stars. And these, again, these are not guys who are like LaMarcus Aldridge or or like Artis Gilmore who were All-Stars before they got to San Antonio and then they get an All-Star. These are guys who made their first All-Star team with the San Antonio Spurs. So looking at the rest of the field, you've got Alvin Robertson, who I, I, I think a lot of Spurs fans know his personal drama and everything that happened with him, so we won't spend time on that. But we can talk about how good he was for the Spurs, really from the second that he got here. You know, year two, age 23, 17 points per game, 6.3 rebounds per game, 5.5 assists per game. And this last one, like I had to double check it because I wasn't sure if it was true. 3.7 steals per game. Like, DeJounte averages two steals per game. This guy is almost doubling that, which is, I mean, just insane. So Alvin Robertson, we won't spend much time on him, but the other guys I think we're going to be more familiar with. We've got Tony Parker. We got Manu Ginobili. We got Sean Elliott. And all these guys kind of made their all-star team around year four, year five, year three. And for me, I'm looking at them and, and you go, okay, you know, take Tim Duncan away. Take David Robinson away. You know, how good would a team be if Sean Elliott's your best player or Manu is your best player or Tony is your best player? I don't know if there was an extended period for the Spurs where Tony was their best player and they were a title contender. He might have been their best player for a little bit. I don't think they really won anything while he was their best player. I know he won the 2007 Finals MVP, but Tim Duncan was still your rock. Manu Ginobili was really, really good then. All-star caliber as well. Really good supporting cast. And then by the time they were sort of fading out of out of you know their stardom, Kawhi Leonard was coming up. You had some of the other guys like Danny Green, Patty Mills, Boris Diaw came in, Tiago Splitter. You had a lot of good pieces around you. So again, their scenario was so much different than what DeJounte's is in. And so when I look at DeJounte, I try to give him the benefit of the doubt because his supporting cast is not bad. We've talked about it before. But you look at it, and I don't know how much more efficient he can be. There's not a ton of spacing on this roster. Not a lot of other people have a lot of gravity. There aren't like a ton of really good cutters on this team. There isn't really another number two option that could really give you the, you know, give him the ball, let him go score. So looking at it from that perspective, I think if you're looking at these all-stars, one through ten, you know, the, the top tier is clearly David Robinson, Tim Duncan, George Gervin, Kawhi Leonard. But I think you probably put him in that second tier, and maybe it's too soon. But I think he's kind of in that second tier of guys like Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker, and then the, the very bottom tier, which is still a very good tier to be in. You got Sean Elliott, Larry Keenan, Alvin Robertson. I mean, those are all really special names. And the fact that we're even talking about DeJounte in this context, an NBA All-Star, maybe he makes another game. Maybe he established himself as the best player. If he's only ever the second best player on this team and they find a cornerstone elsewhere, that's special. I mean, those are the kind of guys, like we mentioned, those are the guys that get their jerseys retired. Those are the guys that still enter the Hall of Fame because nobody's going to say, you know, Tony isn't a Hall of Famer or Manu isn't a Hall of Famer just because, you know, Tim Duncan was better than them. That's all right. There's not many guys better than Tim Duncan. So if you're DeJounte and they end up finding a player who's better than you and you're successful, I mean, if you're winning and you win multiple titles, you make multiple deep runs, you can get in the Hall of Fame. You can be a multi-time All-Star. You can have your jersey retired. And so I'm happy with where DeJounte is. He's much further along than I thought he would be. So really excited to see what he does. Do you have anything else that you want to talk about in comparison with these other all-stars, or do you want to move on? Uh, I, I got just a couple of uh, just last final points. 
you're a hundred percent right, especially with a, a potential All Star and, and and Hall of Fame case, anything like that, because it starts with the All Star teams. And even right now, this year, he does have a case for All NBA third team. I mean, he genuinely does. If you want to call a spade a spade, so I mean, in terms of in, you know individual accolades and we, in terms of what the Spurs can do down the road when it comes to building around this group or including him and Jakob, all these other guys. It's definitely possible, and he's definitely in that second tier with guys like Tony and Manu. Obviously, right now Tony and Manu are better players all time. We're not discussing that, but he is—he isn't, you know, one of those role players like a Sean Elliott, who I do love, and I think Sean Elliott would be a perfect <laughs> forward for this Spurs team. D- don't even get me started on that. That's like the dream forward the Spurs could have right now. But uh, yeah, I think Dejounte really does fit in that second tier. That's where he is right now, and man, from from a guy like that, who I don't know who. Even even though he is still limited as an offensive talent, for him to come as far as he has, big ups to him, his work ethic, you know, the Spurs coaching staff and all that good stuff. And I'm I'm just excited to talk about the dunk contest, man. I think it's time to talk about the dunk contest. This is this is the yeah. this is a topic that <laughs> I'm going to hold Noah's feet to the fire on because he told me something in private, and I was like, Nah, you gotta come on the pod and say it. So we're gonna change topics here on the uh, and, go, and go to the dunk contest. You know, this event has been. On a bit of a downward spiral since the you know the infamous 2016 competition between Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon, uh, Aaron Gordon was robbed, and you know the Spurs <laughs> have never been represented at this event in our lifetime. I don't, I've never, I've always wanted to see that, right? I've always <laughs> wanted to see the Spurs, but it just hasn't happened. So, Noah, out of all of the players on this roster, who do you feel would put on for the silver and black the best? I think maybe it's a little bit of cap when I say this, but I do think like genuinely <laughs> like because I told you this and I, and I said I was going to stick to it. So Joe Wieskamp, I don't know if like a lot and, and like if you're laughing at home, that's totally fine. Like I understand it. But Joe <laughs> Wieskamp, I'm not sure a lot of people realize it, but at the 2021 NBA draft combine, he logged a 42 inch vertical and they make you do it twice, right? They make you do it twice and they let you pick the, the best one out of the two runs. The first one was 42 inches. The second one was 41 inches. I don't think it was a fluke. Now, he's not somebody who can really get up in a crowd. Like, Luka Shamanich also had, like, a near 40-inch vertical, but he wasn't dunking over people. And Joe Wieskamp isn't really dunking over people. But if you give him a runway, if you give him the space, I think this guy could hit an East Bay, maybe a Tomahawk, maybe, uh, you know, a, re- a reverse jam. Like, I think there's a lot of things he might be able to do. And we just have never seen him do it. I mean, he wasn't like a prolific dunker at Iowa State um, he, he, or at Iowa, rather not Iowa State. I'm sure Iowa State fans would kill me. Same thing with Iowa fans. But when he was a Hawkeye, not really a prolific dunker. You know, he dunks from time to time with the Austin Spurs. But one of the things that you go watch some of his highlights from college and even some of his highlights with the G League, when this man is running and has a runway in, the, in transition and, and on the fast break, he can get up. He really can get up. And one of the other things that really stands out to me and really stood out to me at Iowa was his offensive rebounding. Like this guy came in and soared and had putback jams that got every single Hawkeyes fan on their feet. So I don't know if he's necessarily the best guy, but he's the guy who I'm going to advocate for because I don't think anybody else is bringing that name to the table. And I want to do it. That's what I <laughs> That's what I want to do. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely interesting when you told me that, especially when I found out the 42-inch vertical. I remember on one of your Twitter spaces, you mentioned that you, you asked, you know, you had a little poll question because everyone knows you love those poll questions. And uh, they were like throwing out every name in the book. Trey Jones, Josh Primo, Lonnie Walker, right? And speaking of Lonnie Walker, I think many would say Lonnie Walker, because of his balance, his athletic ability, he's someone that can get up in a hurry no matter what's in front of him. Although he doesn't like initiate contact like we know 
uh, he definitely has the athletic ability to do whatever oh, he yeah. wants in the air. Like, it doesn't matter what's going on around him. So I could see that, you know, Lonnie Walker potentially for, you know, just bouncing athleticism. But I think in the dunk contest, me as just uh, 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 I've always dunked. You know, every time in my life, you know, I can I have a fifty-one inch vertical. You know that <laughs> uh, as my own, as a you know as a as a dunk contest judge in my own head, I think you need to have a good blend of bounce and aggression, right? And I'm not going to go with the guy that everyone's thinking. I'm saying I'm going to go with Dejounte Murray. And really? I think it's Dejo- yeah, really? I think Dejounte wow. Murray would do would do the best because I think Dejounte has a good blend of aggression at the rim like in a, in a dunk contest setting of course i think he'd be really good there i think he's athletic enough to do it i think his bounce is there and i think with how long he is he could do some wild stuff just on pure length alone so i think Dejounte murray would be the best uh you know contestant for the dunk contest but i could be you know talked off that uh, you know off that uh, position but yeah, man. I, I mean, we've seen Dejounte too coming. You know, whenever he was rehabbing, he would do you know some crazy windmill dunks off the you know throwing it up in the air, catch it you know windmill. So, who knows, man? But I think Dejounte, it would be Dejounte. I, I might be in the minority with that one, but that's just how I'm feeling. You know, I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. I'm going to go ahead and and push back on that one hard because <laughs> I think if you're in the dunk competition, you have to have at least in one point in your career in the NBA posterized someone. We saw Lonnie Walker last year. He absolutely posterized Melly on the Mavericks yeah. at the American Airlines Center. Like, if you can do that once, uh, that's it. You get one ticket, that's your one ticket. You posterize someone, you can go to the game. We've seen Keldon Johnson posterize people. We've even seen Joe Wieskamp posterize a few people, granted on, on putbacks in the Austin Spurs, but I don't think I've ever seen DeJounte Murray dunk unless it's like a fast break or there's a wide open lane. And I don't I, I, like. I think he he can get up in a hurry, but I, I don't think he gets up that high. So that's the only reason I wouldn't put him in there. I think the last time we really saw him like posterize someone or get up for like a really big dunk was like pre ACL injury. I remember he was working out at Washington. He posted some videos of him posterizing this like seven footer who was on their team at the time, and I was like, oh man, I'm excited. Like this is gonna be a big season. He's 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 confident. This is gonna be fun. And then. You know, the ACL injury happened. I think that sapped a little bit of the bounce, but I think if we have to go on one guy, I'll throw him out there and then I'll uh, and I'll let you pick your guy next. If we're really being serious, I probably would not go with Joe Wieskamp. <laughs> I'm probably going with Lonnie Walker every day of the week. I think he's just a guy who gets up effortlessly, you know, he gets up quick, and he can stay up there. Like, he's got the hang time. So I'm probably going with Lonnie. Who's your guy? Yeah, I think I – think- Lonnie's tough, man. And the reason why Lonnie's tough, okay, because he has posterized people, right? But he just seems so much more of just, uh, when he gets to the rim, just a jelly layup. That's all. That's what he wants to do. <laughs> and so it's just really hard for me, Noah, to envision him as a guy that would just, with force and aggression, look to attack the rim. And, like, again, this is a dunk contest setting, so we're not expecting people to, you know, a, a defender like Rudy Gobert to come out and then dunk on him or something like that. But uh, I think Keldon Johnson, for just aggression's sake, uh, because although he's, I don't think he's going to be flashy enough for the dunk contest, hypothetically, but in terms of just sheer aggression and making you say, wow, or whoa, right? Keldon Johnson's got to be up there as well, man. I mean, we've seen this dude. It doesn't matter what's, what's happening in front of him. If he's trying to go to the basket, he's going to go to the basket. So <laughs> I think Keldon Johnson's a, a very fine end to throw into that mix. But, man, I... I I gotta say, it's Dejounte, man. I don't know what's what's up with me, man. Maybe because we were talking about him in the opening, but I would love to see him in that setting. And I agree with you too. It's kind of hard to envision him as well because he hasn't had that spectacular moment, right? But 
who knows, man? Maybe he's just better in the dunk contest. You know, I don't know. I, that's just where I'm going with it. Yeah, I guess you never know. Like a few years ago, I remember the, you know, TNT when the Spurs used to be on national TV when they were really good. Yeah. They yeah. had the like plugged in segment where you get to hear the guys talking or whatever. And even Patty Mills was able to get up for an alley-oop. And I was like, whoa, I, I had no idea. So maybe DeJounte Murray's holding out on us a little bit. So I won't, I won't come for you too hard on, on like, uh, you know, saying DeJounte Murray. Maybe he can. Like, maybe he's holding back. And I would love to see really any of these guys because it has just been so, 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 so long since the Spurs have had someone. I really thought that Jonathan Simmons might be their guy a few years ago. Yeah. And, you know, that, that ship sailed when he signed elsewhere. And I can't really think of any other guy who, like, could have maybe been in there for them in the past. They've not really ever been a big, you know, dunking team. Maybe David Robinson, but I don't, you know, he never was in that as well. So, I don't know. I, I think the next thing that we're going to talk about here, the three-point competition, I know it's one of your favorite parts of All-Star Weekend. Oh, it's yeah. definitely one of my favorite parts of the All-Star Weekend. You know, from Steph Curry and Reggie Miller to Larry Bird and Peja Stoyakovich, some of the sharpshooters, like, greatest sharpshooters in this league have had a chance to showcase their marksmanship each and every year. But that said, much like the dunk contest, San Antonio hasn't had anyone represent them in quite some time. So if you had to choose one spur to send to Cleveland by Saturday, who would it be and why? And it had, they have to be on the roster right now. Like not yeah. you know historically, but right now, if you had to pick someone on the roster, who, who are you sending? I think it has, to be, it has to be Doug McDermott. I mean, it's really tough. Because I mean, I know I know he's shooting forty four point one percent from three this year. That's fourth in the NBA. The reason why I go with Doug is because I like Keldon. I just don't know how good he would be constantly moving from from rack to rack. I know it's not like a ton of movement. Like he's not. They're not. You know, the Spurs aren't running a pick and roll lift, and he's coming up off the wing to catch a three. It's not like what. That's not what yeah. they're doing in a three point <laughs> competition, right? But uh, I think Doug would just. It, he would be better in that. In that. Uh, in that situation, in my opinion, it's just really hard for me to envision Kelton because he's a really, you know, standard set shot kind of catch and shoot three point shooter. And a guy like McDermott, I think, can relocate a, l a little bit better, and it, it would probably do a little bit better than Kelton in that in that uh, in that uh, in that competition, in my opinion. But I don't know, Noah. What do you think? I, I it's tough. I I, I want to pick Kelton, Noah. I really do, but I think it's Doug, man. I do. I would like to pick Keldon, too. You know, 105 threes leads the team. He's shooting 42.5% from three, which is seventh in the NBA. And I know he's made a few more threes than Doug on a, on a slightly worse percentage, which slightly worse doesn't matter because it is so good. Again, seventh in the NBA. But you look at Doug, and he just has so much shot versatility. You know, he can shoot off movement. He can shoot running off screens. I guarantee if you let him shoot off the dribble, he might be able to do that as well. And we know he's an elite standstill shooter as well. So he, he, he can just do so many things with the three ball. Quick release. I could see him getting through that. Whereas like Keldon, he sped up the release a little bit. But it's still like relatively slow to the best sharpshooters in the NBA. And just because of that, I have a hard time not, not even seeing him you know make the shots really. Because I think he would make his shots. But finish the rack. You know, there's five racks. And I think they introduced those two extra racks where it's like the super deep ball. You know, because they're trying to show how far guys can shoot now. And that's not really, you know, like Keldon's game. And so for that reason, I just have to go with Doug McDermott. The shot versatility, the percentage is better. And Dame, I know this might be a scalding hot take here, but is Doug McDermott maybe the best three-point shooter who's ever suited up for San Antonio? And, like, I know we might get a little pushback, or I might, <laughs> for this, but I think he might be the best shooter 
who's ever played for the San Antonio Spurs. I don't know. That's that's how I feel. I just the mix of volume, the mix of versatility, the the accuracy. Like there have been a lot of good shooters that have come through the San Antonio Spurs, and we'll list them in a second. But I think he might be the best one. I'm not saying he's made the most or he's going to be considered the greatest shooter of all time for the Spurs because I think to do that, you have to stick with the team for a long time. But just individual shooter, maybe the best we've ever seen in silver and black. That's a very tough one for me. So I think right now I lean Patty Mills just a little bit as the best shooter uh, because I take the si- I take the size into consideration a good bit because I think Obviously, when it comes to just shooting off movement, being able to run all across the court and find a shot, be comfortable with it, relocate, always be ready to you know catch and shoot. Patty's there, right? He can do just about everything in terms of just shooting the rock. And I think also being six one and really having to rely on some other things <laughs> around you to get a shot off sometimes. I think for him to be as consistent as he is, being you know a little bit undersized and there, I mean, there's plenty of times where he's closed out games for the Spurs, right back, you know, back in the day. So I think in general, in terms of everything from shooting in the clutch, you know, just pure, because they're kind of similar uh, shooters in my opinion. Obviously, Doug isn't, you know, hitting someone with a hezzy and pulling up from three or anything like that. But I think in terms of just off, you know, off the ball shooting and in general, I think I'm going to lean Patty Mills just a little bit. But I'm not going to lie to you, no. I know everyone doesn't like Bryn Forbes, right? That's like the whole popular thing. Oh, Bryn Forbes this. Or like Marco Bellinelli, right? Or Danny Green, <laughs> uh, you know, his last year in San Antonio. Everyone was like, oh, the Spurs have to get rid of him, blah, blah, blah. Man, they're really good shooters too. And Marco was huge for the Spurs. back. Yo, Marco won one. He won yeah, the 2014 yeah. three-point competition. Like, that's yeah. in the, like, you're, you're, you're starting to see... Uh, you know, Dirk is coming out of the league, but he's still one of the best three-point shooters. You had guys like Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Kevin Love was in that. Co- I mean, like, he beat out a lot of really good shooters. And let's not forget, like, uh, people made fun of him because he never set his feet when he was shooting. But it is hard to shoot almost 40% for your career from three when you're constantly on the move. Like, that is a skill. Imagine if he actually set his feet and stood still. Guy would be shooting like 45%. Not in the NBA anymore. I know that he's not a fan favorite and people were ready to see him go. But Marco in his prime, which is like kind of funny to say, but Marco in his prime was, was a, bucket. a bucket from three. Yeah. Like he was a yeah. bucket from three. Hey, and you know another guy that's also slept on too? He's still in the NBA, obviously. But Davis Bertans, especially like 2018, 2019 for the Spurs, his shooting ability, he was one of the one of the biggest reasons why the Spurs were so effective winning 47 games that year. I believe that's what they won. Uh, it was because the Spurs, although they were such a low-volume team from deep, they were like the number one, number two team in terms of just pure accuracy from hitting their shots from deep. And Davis was a huge part of that. So I think you have to throw him into the mix, too, in, in terms of just best shooters in Spurs history. Uh, of course, Bruce Bowen from the corner. I mean, growing up, Noah, when you saw Bruce Bowen flare to the corner, <laughs> oh, you knew it was a bucket. You knew it was three. You know what I mean? So... I think it's been really interesting, right, because the Spurs have always been that team that's been late to the party, right, in terms of adapting, making the, you know, the modern game, really buying into that, right? But they've really had some quality shooters in the building, and it kind of makes you wonder, right, like, what if they kind of went a different direction <laughs> at some point, right? Like, how good of a three-point shooting team would they have been? But that's kind of where, 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 I'm, where I'm heading off here, man. I would love to hear any closing thoughts from you, and we can get into the next one. Yeah, so one thing that I thought was really interesting, it doesn't have a lot to do with necessarily like the three-point competition itself. I'm pretty sure Bruce Bowen was never in it, but one of the things that always sort of like left me dumbfounded was the 2006-2007 season. Bruce Bowen led the NBA in three-point percentage, shot over 44% from three. 
but he became the only player in NBA history to be number one in, in three-point percentage and last in free throw percentage in the NBA. What? Like, <laughs> the, the guy shot, like, I think it was 44% from three, but 56% from the line. And that was just yep. among qualified players. Like, there were a few players who had, like, five or six free throws all year, and they made one. This is just out of, like, qualified players. So I always thought that was really weird. Uh, just sort of like a, a little fun fact to throw in there for Spurs fans because – we all remember Bruce Bowen as that guy, the sniper from the corner. He absolutely was, but what a weird year to lead the NBA in three-point percentage and finish last in free throw percentage. I don't know if that's ever going to happen again. Other guys who I wanted to give love to real quick, and we'll move on. Sean Elliott, we know he's a great three-point shooter. Everyone remembers that uh, you know, Memorial Day miracle. That was yep. huge. Spurs don't win a title without that. You talked about Davies Bertans. We won't spend time on him, but Steve Kerr, Matt Bonner, Brent Barry, those guys were all really good three-point shooters. Like, there have been so many guys who have come through here. And that's not even to mention a guy like, you know, Steve Smith. Uh, I, I bet you there's Gary probably... Neal. Gary Neal, exactly. Roger yeah. Mason Jr. Like, there's so many guys who were so good at shooting the three ball. Most of them, I remember, as standstill shooters. And so, to go back to the original point, I still got to go with Doug McDermott. Like he just, there's just too much shot versatility. I know that there's definitely an argument for Patty Mills. I will not argue against that. There is definitely an argument, and the NBA seems to think so. He got an invitation this year. Now that he's not with the Spurs, that you know that more has to do with his percentage being up, his volume being up. You know, he's starting a ton of games for the Brooklyn Nets, who are supposed to be a title contender. So I understand it. It's a little annoying that he's not there, but I, I understand the argument for Patty. So you know, if we're gonna close it out here. I'd, I'd be fine with saying Patty and Doug are, are on the same level. But, man, like the Spurs have such a good history of shooters. And it just makes me excited to see what they can do going forward because they have the DeJounte, they have a Devin, they, and, and we'll get into that later. But I, I love that they've had so many good shooters. I just want to see somebody in another competition. And yeah. we'll move things on to the Rising Stars game. And I know we keep complaining, we keep talking about this and that, but... You know, we've seen Keldon Johnson, Jonathan Simmons, Kawhi Leonard, Tiago Spiller, Gary Neal, Dewan Blair, Baino Udre, Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker, you name them. They've laced them up alongside some of the best rookies and sophomores in the NBA's over the years. And the Spurs looked like they might be getting another guy, but one of their youngsters got snubbed this year. Devin Vassell did not receive an invite to the Rising Stars game. I think it shocked Spurs fans. I don't know if it shocked everybody else, but it definitely shocked me. It shocked you. So how do we feel about the NBA snubbing San Antonio's second-year swingman despite him putting up some really solid numbers for the Spurs this year? Noah, I, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm shocked. When I, when I saw it, I was like, yeah, there ain't no way Devin Vassell's not making that. I mean, especially for you know media members or whomever votes on this, right? It's media members or um, you know whomever comes up with this. Just look at you know the numbers. If you just watch Devin Vassell play, he's you know one of these one of the best sophomores in the league. I mean, in just terms of, of impact, versatility, just being being whatever a team needs, man, it, I don't understand how he's not in there. I mean, the the Rockets they got Jay Sean Tate in there, Alperin Sengun, Jalen Green. Uh, I, I, I was shocked. I mean, Jonathan Kuminga and Bones Highland nominated as injury replacements. Like, respectfully, Bones Highland over Devin Vassell, Jonathan Kuminga over Devin Vassell. Like, but the, I think the only reason they did that is they were trying to even it out with the rookies. So, like, those yeah. are rookies who got hurt, so they're replacing rookies, right? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But I just think in general, Noah, like, I, I just can't I just can't believe it. Maybe I'm just being, you know, a guy that's a little bit biased, whatever, and just because I watch the Spurs. But I think in general, <laughs> Devin Vassell, 
when you compare rookies, sophomores, whomever it is, he's one of the better young players in the league. And in, in terms of longevity, being in the NBA, like I think we can say it now, he's gonna have a ten year career. You know, as long you know, God willing, bare minimum. Yeah, yeah, get you know, doesn't get injured. He's gonna be there for a long, for a long time. He's gonna be an important player for whomever for wherever he goes. Right. So I think just in general, maybe it's because the Spurs aren't winning as much. But even then, man, I mean, you have guys like Tyrese Halliburton, who I really, really like, right? He's on a bad team, right? He was on a bad team, who still kind of is, right? Uh, you know, you have guys like LaMelo Ball, who's a lot more flashy, but the Hornets have been struggling recently. So I don't know if it's really wins and losses. I'm just confused, Noah. Like, I don't know how this happened. Like, I, I, I would think Devin Vassell would make it. And the NBA just honestly, it, not even just for this event, but for all NBA teams, all defense teams, all-star game, rising stars, and anything. Anything that has to do with these front court and back court designations where we're forced into to picking front court players to participate yeah. in these sort of things or, or, or reward them for something. Get rid of it. The NBA is moving positionless. We see guys who are seven-footers like Jokic and Embiid running offenses, you know, taking the ball up the court. We see guys like Keldon Johnson, who probably like three, four, five years ago would have been considered like guards, you know, six, five. Now he's playing power forward. There just there isn't positions anymore. There aren't positions anymore, rather. So you need to get rid of that because, okay, Anthony Edwards, Tyrese Halliburton, Tyrese Maxey, LaMelo Ball, maybe even uh, um, Cole Anthony with the Magic. You could say that they're having a better season and that, that they're more deserving than Devin if we're just looking at the backcourt. And that's what the NBA did. But you can't tell me that Precious Achiawa, Isaiah Stewart, or Jaden McDaniels are having a better season than Devin Vassell. That's just not that's not true. So you get rid of those front court, back court designations, Devin Vassell makes the game. It's that simple. If you want the best players in the game, not just the all-star game, not just the rising stars game, anything, you want to give the right players the rewards and accolades that they deserve, you get rid of those. It's it's been time to get rid of those. And like you said, you know, is it does it have to do with winning or losing? Evidently not. Like yep. you mentioned, Jay Sean Tate, Alperin Shingoon, and Jalen Green from the Houston Rockets, worst team in the Western Conference, they're in the game. Like I understand it. They're all really good, solid young players, but Jay Sean Tate would not be playing this much for another team. He wouldn't. The numbers are there. He's he's fine. He's somewhat efficient. He's not a really good three point shooter. He's a decent defender. You know, he's really physical. He makes loud plays like a Keldon Johnson might. But he's not as good as Devin Vassell. He doesn't deserve that over Devin Vassell. So for me, really, if the NBA cared that much, if we're being honest, Devin Vassell has played a lot of three this year. That's a forward. And last time I checked, forwards are in the front court. Yeah. So why not replace Jay Sean Tate with him? I just, I just don't understand it. It really, it frustrates me, and not just from like a fan perspective, because again, you know, we try to be unbiased. We try to be Call more like the media. We're we're media, yep. right? We're we're not supposed to have an opinion like oh, this guy deserves it because we cover this team and yep. we're fans of this team. No, when we say he deserves it, it's because he deserves it. And he really does. You look at his body of work, and there's no reason he shouldn't be there. And to your point as well about the positions and everything like that, I mean, it's nonsense. Like, I believe even DeMar DeRozan's considered a guard, and he hasn't played guard in, like, five years. Like, he doesn't <laughs> even play. He, he plays, he's played more power forward than he has guard since, like, 2017. Like, no, the NBA needs to get rid of it in, just completely, like, just put the best players out there, man. Who cares what position they play? If you have 15 centers making All-NBA or All-Star, then you have 15 centers doing it. Like, who cares, <laughs> right? Uh, I, I agree with you 100%. No, I just think it's it's ridiculous. And trust me, if Devin Vassell was playing for 
I don't know, wh- whomever you want to think. If he could be playing, you know, wherever, I'd still be like, yeah, he needs to be in, in this in this game. Like, he's just that good. He's that impactful. He's a guy that I've said is, you know, in terms of value to the Spurs, one of the most valuable players, especially in the long run. Uh, right now, he's very impactful. He's played very well, you know, since entering into the starting lineup. Something that, you know, wink, wink, if you want to check out my articles on Pound of the Rock, <laughs> you can see that. Uh, but, yeah, man, just in, in totality, Noah, I think it is nonsense. Uh, I was shocked when I read it, and even after like injuries or whatever the case, right? I just can't believe it, man. I, I'm still kind of in disbelief. Like I'm like, ain't no way they're gonna play this game without Devin Vassell. <laughs> and you know what? If somebody like if they get a cold or maybe they like trip and they they sprain their ankle, mild sprain. We're not hoping mild for sprain, real yeah. injuries. Knock on wood. Whatever. Maybe <laughs> they just tweaked it a little bit. But Vassell should be on a plane tonight to Cleveland. If any sophomore has to drop out of this game, it tips off at eight. So if something happens, they better be calling Devin Vassell. They better get him a ticket. They better fly him out to Cleveland. They better get him in the arena, and he better be playing in the game. But, you know, that's probably just – that's not going to happen, and he's not going to get another opportunity to, to be a rising star because, you know, it's only for first- and second-year players. But just because he's not in this game does not mean he's not a rising star. He has been very good for San Antonio this year. He's made some really big developmental strides, really proud of the progress he's made. But – I think we got to continue. Otherwise, I'm going to be frustrated. Yeah. And again, not to continue the complaining here, but the next event on our slate, it's the skills challenge. And I can't help but feel like the NBA also got this one wrong with their participants. DeJounte Murray, one of five players averaging at least 19.7 rebounds and seven assists per game this season. Man, he's not, he's not one of the guys in the competition. And there's a lot of guys who didn't make it, including every single one of those guys I just mentioned who are in that that category who averaged 19-7 and 7. You know, we're looking at the LaMelo Balls, Luka Doncic's. We're looking at James Harden's. Obviously, he couldn't participate because he's hurt. Honestly, wouldn't want to see him participate either way. Nikola Jokic. <laughs> like, yeah. why are none of these guys in the competition? A skills competition. It's four skills. Clearly, they have a wide array of skills. So why are they not there? Yeah, I was I was honestly a little bit surprised here as well. Now, I understand, you know, Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, you know, because it's in Cleveland, right? They're going to be there, obviously. Uh, I'm not going to lie, though, Noah. I like Jared Allen as a player. I'm a little bit shocked that he's in the skills (laughs) challenge. (laughs) Uh, Respectfully, uh, I was a little, I was a little, (laughs) I just kind of scratched my head a little bit on that one. Uh, And then, you know, the the Antetokounmpo trio, you know, Giannis, of course, everyone wants to see him, uh, but his two brothers, respectfully, again, they're in the NBA, you know, God bless them, happy for them. Uh, but no one really is interested in that. Uh, I'm, I'm with you. I think if you're going to be in the skills competition, you need to be a guy that stuffs the stat, like the stat sheet across the board. Someone that literally like does things that require multiple skills, right? Uh, there's a reason why, you know, Jordan Clarkson's not in the skills champion or skills challenge or something like that. Right. Uh, I, I don't know. No, I don't get it. I, I don't understand why they wouldn't put him in there. And especially with a guy like DeJounte, who's really starting to ascend and be on like national, you know, TV segments sometimes, or he's getting talked about a little bit more, right? Bringing more attention to the Spurs. Like this is a good time for the NBA to really start to buy into another, like to the small market, like the Spurs that already has championship pedigree and really start to push that as well. And for some reason, it seems, it just seems like the Spurs just constantly get overlooked. And this isn't even me coming from, you know, a fan perspective. It's just kind of genuine. Like the Spurs just aren't discussed. And now that, you know, they actually have a really solid player, an all-star caliber player, you would think they'd get a little bit more love because, you know, you we've seen players that make the all-star teams uh, or that make the all-star list or whatever or in these competitions that are on bad teams, Noah. Like, I love Bradley Beal, right? And I know I understand they're in D.C., but 
man, the Wizards are like the third or fourth most important team in that city, right? It, it's and he gets <laughs> talked about so much, right? So I don't know about you, man. I, I just I just couldn't I just can't believe this one either. Dame, it is All Star Weekend, so like you mentioned. Darius Garland, Mobley, Jared Allen, two of those guys are all-stars. Evan Mobley is going to be an all-star one day. They're playing in Cleveland. They're the stars of the show for the Cavaliers, so I get it. I totally understand it. The Rooks team, you've got Cade Cunningham, Scotty Barnes, Josh Giddy. I get it, too, because the NBA wants to put their up-and-coming young stars on the national radar. Totally understand that. The Giannis thing I'm still stuck on. Giannis is maybe going to be the face of the league. I don't know. Like He seems like he's the best player in the league right now. When LeBron retires, you know, who's the face of the league? Maybe Giannis, right? So if he's the face of the league, you want to market your best player to everybody, you want to make sure he's at the forefront, totally get it. I think there was a better way to do it than putting him alongside his brothers. One of his brothers, Alex, he doesn't play. Like, he does not play, okay? He doesn't play for any team. Neither does Thanasis. Uh, Thanasis is playing for the Bucks, but he doesn't really play, like, like you said, respectfully, he is there because of his brother. And Costas, he's in the G League. He hasn't even played an NBA game this season. So, like, I understand marketing your best player in the league. This is not the right way to do it. For me, a team of DeJounte Murray, Luka Doncic, LaMelo Ball, that would have been so much fun to watch. One, they're all legitimate all-stars. And as I mentioned, it is all-star weekend. So if it's all-star weekend, why not put all-stars in the event or future all-stars in the event? And two, they're all triple-double threats every single night. I know that we've talked about, you know, the triple-doubles overrated, this and that, but, I mean, if the people love triple-doubles, give the people what they want. Yeah. Give yep. them three triple – that's a trifecta of triple-double threats. Give them what they want. So, I don't know. It's not like it's the biggest deal. The skills challenge isn't something that people remember for years and years and years. I think Tony Parker won it twice, and I don't know if, you know, most Spurs fans could tell you that. Like, not everybody's tuning into this, but it would just be nice to see San Antonio – get some representation in this because if the all-star weekend is for all-stars and it's to spread, you know, your reach across the league, when you exclude certain fan bases and you include the big market teams like the Lakers or the Bulls or the Knicks when they're not deserving of it, you know, those teams don't need help. They don't need help to spread their, their, their outreach. The Spurs do. They're playing a fun brand of basketball. Even if they're losing, they've got a lot of intriguing young pieces. Even if they're losing, you know, help them out a little bit, throw them a bone. Because it makes it more fun to cover this team when you see them going to All-Star Weekend. And I know they're bad, but they're, they're just as deserving as a lot of these other teams, like you mentioned, that are just as bad as they are. Yep. But they're getting yep. the shine. So, yeah. a little frustrating, but I'll let you, you take us into our next topic. Because <laughs> I know we've done <laughs> a lot of complaining. I, I think this was the perfect episode for us to just vent a little bit and sort of imagine oh, yeah. what this team could look like. But I'll let you move us on to the next topic. Yeah, so we've talked, you know, about plenty of events and, you know, who should have represented the Spurs in each of them. But to be honest, man, San Antonio's one-way ticket to All-Star Weekend has always been sending someone to the main event. DeJounte Murray got there this year, and the Silver and Black have some intriguing young pieces on the roster. And, man, I don't know about you, but I love a good wrestling story, right? I love a good storyline. I love <laughs> when, when the main event is there, right? But it takes two to tango. So just in general, man, the, the question, who's going to be San Antonio's next All-Star? Will it be, you know, Keldon Johnson? Devin Vassell, maybe Josh Primo, uh, or is that all-star coming from the NBA draft or free agency? I, I want to hear you first. That's such a tough question to answer. I really like a lot of these young pieces. For me, Keldon Johnson is someone who has made a lot of strides as a shooter, 
but he still leaves a lot to be desired. I mean, even though he scored a lot in that Thunder game, and you could say, oh, you know, he dominated that game. He really finished really well at the rim in the most recent Thunder game. You know, Thunder were playing without three members of their starting lineup. They were missing two of their leading scorers, Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Lou Dort, and they didn't have a center to protect the paint, so of course he's going to finish better, right? And even without that rim protector, Keldon Johnson turns the ball over four times, and for me, that's the next logical progression is he's got to become better at making decisions with the ball in his hand. We know he can get to the rim. We know that he can absorb contact. We saw him get to the free throw line seven times, and that is great. That is really encouraging because most stars get to the free throw line. But he's going to need to add something else. He can't just be a standstill shooter who's sporadic as a driver. Just not going to work, and he's a subpar decision maker. It's just not going to work. So for me, Keldon could be that guy, but he's probably not. You look at Devin Vassell. He's not really a great passer, although he just had a career-high six assists the other night, so shout-out to him. He's trying to make strides there. But I still need to see more off the dribble. I still need to see more diversity off of, uh, of his shot. So for me, you know, it's probably not Devin either, though I really like Devin. If I had to pick one person, it's probably Josh Primo. I know we were all hesitant about him coming into the year, but he's shown a lot of uh, dynamic off-the-dribble moves. He can create for himself. He can create for his teammates. He's got that pull-up three-pointer that no one else on the roster really has. And I know he's inconsistent right now, really on both ends. But he's shown a lot of flashes as a defender. He's a good weak side rim protector. He doesn't commit too many fouls. And he just has that like special quality that it's, it's almost like unquantifiable and indescribable. But when you see it, you know, you know you've seen it. You know what I mean? So I know for exactly me, what you mean. Josh Primo is the guy. I'm not going to say he is going to be the guy. I can't guarantee that. But if anybody has a good chance to do that, I think it's Josh Primo, which is why I'm so excited to see him for the rest of this year with the San Antonio Spurs. But I said my piece. I said who I thought it would be. So I want to hear who who do you think it would be? Yeah, echoing your point, especially about the kind of those things where when you just see it, like you just know, right? When you see something, you're like, that's exactly what I mean, right? And Primo is the only guy that I think on the roster that has that potential. Um, like you mentioned, man, in terms of just the more modern game, the more modern guard feel, uh, Primo fits everything you want, right? In terms of his play style, off the bounce as a creator, he kind of gives you a little bit of everything that you're kind of like, man, if we can kind of refine some things, if we can fine-tune some things, he can really fit being that 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 primary creator for you. It's going to take some work, right? And he's very young. We know this. But I think Primo's that guy that has the, the actual ceiling to be an all-star guy. And I think, you know, all things being equal, hypothetically, if he doesn't end up tapping into that potential, he's a guy that could be a perennial all-star if we're, if we're calling a spade a spade. Because his game is, not only that too, man, his game is, is you know, could be really polished really well and, you know, impactful. But to be an all-star, especially to catch, you know, the casual fan's eye, you got to be flashy, right? You got to do some things that catches the yeah. <laughs> catches the eye that that you you just come back and say, man, he's just like that. Man, that was nice. He's just nice. And Primo has that ability. He has that potential, right? So I think if it's anyone on the roster, it's going to be Primo. I love Vassell. I think as a shot creator, and again, that flash, you need to have something, right? I don't know if Devin Vassell is going to have that. Keldon Johnson, for me, I think he's really, really solid in the role he's in. I think... Uh, Yaka Pirtle, probably not as well. Um, <laughs> I think it's Primo Noah, and, and if it's not Primo, then it's going to be someone from the draft or free agency, in my opinion. If the Spurs, hypothetically, I'm sure when, when you know we hit May, June, we'll talk about this more. Uh, if the Spurs get a, a you know a, a Banchero or a, a Jabari Smith or Chet Holmgren, right, 
th- those are guys that could be all-stars, in my opinion. I think right out of the box, you can expect that, right? But right now on this current team, I think it's Primo, man. I think it's the Primo picks. You know, that, that's just my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love Primo picks. Uh, I, I think that we're both on the same page here. I think it is probably Josh Primo. But as we've seen with guys like DeJounte Murray, like probably three years ago, if they had asked us, you know, who's the next all-star on this roster, you would have said nobody, you know? Yeah. Like, DeJounte had the, you know, all-defense, youngest all-defensive team member in NBA history. I think he was all-defensive second team his second year. But that didn't signal that he was going to be an all-star. And he's put in work, and he's come back every single year, add a little wrinkle to his game, and, you know, all of a sudden he's an all-star. You know, could Keldon do that? Could maybe Vassell do that? Sure. I don't know if you want to bet on that because that sort of work ethic, that's outlier work ethic. We talked about it. The Giannis's have that. Guys like Jimmy Butler have that. Guys like Kawhi Leonard Mm -hmm. have that. But not everybody's built the same. Not everybody's like DeJounte. And it's the same way that you see, you know, reason you see him out there every single game. And when he's on the court, you know he's the leader. You know, he's vocal. He's holding people accountable. He holds himself accountable. He's the first person he will blame if the Spurs lose, even if he has like a stellar triple-double that's super efficient, you know, four or five steals. You know, it's on me. It's on me. So... I don't know if everybody's built like DeJounte, but I think the same thing can be said for Primo. Not everybody's built like Primo. He's got some really unique characteristics that make him a really dynamic scorer. And if he can learn to be a better decision maker, kind of improve the dribbling. It's not that he doesn't have a dynamic ball handle uh, package right now, but I think it's more that he, he he's a little loose with the ball at yeah, times. Yeah, not as know? tight, yep. So if yep. he can tighten that up and he can figure some other things out as a decision maker and he become a little bit stronger, uh, you know, add, add some more you know, wait to his body. That way he can draw contact, get to the line. I could see it with Josh Primo, but I think, man, I think that's it on the all-star talk. Let's go ahead and wrap things up and talk a little bit of legitimate basketball here. The Spurs are in the middle of their annual rodeo road trip. They're three and two with only three games remaining until they return to the AT&T center. How are we feeling about San Antonio and how they've performed on the rodeo road trip thus far? And how do you see those last three games playing out? Let's start with the first question. Yeah, I think for me, Noah, Right now, where they're at is it's it's interesting, right? Because they're three and two right now. Uh, they've lost to two teams that are better than them, and they've beat three teams that, at this current stage, they are better than. Right? Uh, it, they're kind of where they should be, right? In terms of who they're beating, who they're playing, you know, who they're losing to. Um, I think some people are kind of really, you know, interested to see what's up with Lonnie Walker because recently he's been playing some really good hoops. Uh, Hopefully, maybe this is going to be, you know, the, the the turn of something because the Spurs need it. And quite frankly, I think just for, you know, being where he's at right now, they're going to need him to, you know, show a little bit more. I know from three, he's still kind of struggling a little bit. I mean, against the Pelicans, he's one for five. You know, against the Bulls, he was two or four. Then against the Thunder, he's two or seven. But overall, he looks a lot more comfortable out there, right? It looks like the game's coming to him a little bit easier. You know, he's, he's really just taking everything in stride and going with the flow of things. But I think in general, this team is kind of where they should be, right? Especially after the moves that they've made. I don't think that anyone should be too high or too low. They should just kind of be even kill and just understand, like, yeah, they're better than, you know, the bad teams in, in you know, the West or the East, but they're not as good as a, a true playoff contending team. And I know the Pelicans are quote-unquote there, but let's be honest, Noah. You know what I mean? Let's, let's call a spade a spade. So that's kind of where I stand on it, brother. Yeah, I think I'm probably in the same ballpark as you. I want to be like the resident realist of like Spurs media. I don't want to feed you any lies. I don't want to tell you, 
you know, just because the Spurs have the best net rating in the NBA since the trade deadline happened doesn't mean they're they're turning a corner and all of a sudden, you know, they're going to go on this magical run. They're going to make the playoffs. They're going to knock off the first seed as the eighth seed. You know, like, I really don't think that's going to happen. You look at the teams that they lost to. They lost to the Cavs, which is fine. The Cavs are a really good basketball team. They have a lot of good young talent. They're a, a, a matchup nightmare for the San Antonio Spurs between Darius Garland, Jared Allen, and Evan Mobley. Like that's just a tough, you know, group of guys to guard. Not to mention they have Karis LeVert, Rajon Rondo's in there, you know, shoring up the second unit. Uh, even Isaac Okoro is really solid for them too. So, like, I'm not surprised that the Spurs lost to that team. That's a good team. But that Bulls loss, I know people want to say, oh, you know, they only lost it, you know, down the stretch once Demar Derozan took over. I don't care. That team is missing Alex Caruso, Lonzo Ball, Zach Levine, Patrick Williams, Javante Green, their backup power forward. He was a game-time decision. They didn't even know he was going to play until the game started. You were fully healthy outside of Trey Jones in that game. You had every opportunity to win it. You couldn't stop DeMar DeRozan. You couldn't stop even Ayo DeSumo, who, by the way, is playing really well for the Bulls right now. If there's a rookie to watch... He's one that you should definitely be watching. He fell way too low in the draft. Should have been a first-round pick, but that's neither here nor there. Just those two losses, you should expect them. You should expect those losses, but the wins, they're not really as impressive as you might think. Like, you, you play against the Hawks. Yes, they made the Eastern Conference Finals a year ago, but they're three or four games under 500. they They've won nine of their last 12 games, so they're trending in the right direction. But you also had a play in which John Collins and Keita Bates-Diop collided. You know, John Collins is their second best player. He goes out for the rest of the game. Keita Bates-Diop is just a replacement level guy for you. So now it's all on Trey Young. You have a bunch of guys who you threw at him. By the way, you still had Derek White at the time. This is before the trade deadline. I mean, like, you know, you, you stop him. You cut off the head of the snake. Of course, the rest of the team was going to fall apart. They're the second worst defense in the NBA. So, of course, you put up like 135, 136 points. Credit to you. You had to do that. But it's a lot easier when you're playing a really, really bad defense. You go and play the Pelicans. They're not very good either. Like, they're just in the same position you are. Yes, they added C.J. McCollum. Yes, they have Brandon Ingram. The rest of that team isn't that good. There's a reason that they're that far down the standings. And as far as the Thunder win goes, I saw a lot of people celebrating that win. But, man, you almost blew that game at the end. You almost blew that game at the end. So, no offense to the Spurs. Really happy that they're able to pick up a little bit of momentum because you're going to have to get wins here and there and build some confidence and, and you know keep your chin up, even in a season that you might end in the lottery and pretty high in the lottery. But that Thunder game, you're playing a team that has Lindy Waters. Dane, have you ever heard of Lindy Waters the third? No. Can you tell me where that man no. played college basketball? I cannot. Lindy Waters? Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, he logged 20 minutes against the Spurs. He also played semi-professional basketball. He was on a tryout with the Oklahoma City Blue, their G League team. He only played five minutes per game over the first half of their G League season and just recently started shooting the three and from free throw and from the field, just lights out shooting. And they said, yo, we need somebody, so, you know, come play for us. He's playing, just like, I'm going to go ahead and do this. I know that this is probably like a, a little bit unfair, but I'm going to go ahead and throw some names out there. And you tell me, do you know that guy? Is this okay. a real player or is this Let's fake? Let's do it. All right. So we had Lindy Waters. All right. No, no. So you didn't know who Lindy no. Waters is, and that's totally fine. Do you know Diakite? You, you're familiar no. with Diakite? Do you know where he played college basketball? No, I do not. Do you know if he was drafted or not? 
I would assume no. Okay, well, yeah, he wasn't drafted, <laughs> and he was formerly on a 10-day contract, and he played basketball at Virginia. I only know that because my fiance's sister went to Virginia, so we were a little bit of basketball fans there. But no, guys should not be playing basketball. Neither should <laughs> Lindy Waters the third. And I'll, I'll go ahead and throw another name out there. Kenrich Williams, do you know who that is? I've he- I've heard of him, yes, I know who that is, but I don't know much about him. But yeah, yeah he went to TCU. He went yeah. to TCU. He was solid there, but he didn't play the other night. But, I mean, he was he's not very good, but that's a guy who's in their regular rotation. Yep. What about Isaiah Roby? Yeah, I know who that is, and I know he's played for <laughs> and he shouldn't probably be. Do you know uh, Do you know Vit Kritschke? No, no, I do not. Okay, so that I think that proves my point. Yeah. Yeah. So I think my point is here, you should not be celebrating a win in which you are fully healthy and the other team is missing Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Jeremiah Robinson-Earl, and Lou Dort. You should have blown that team out of the water. I'm glad that Josh Richardson got a chance to play, uh, but I really would have liked to see Tomas Sadoransky and maybe even Romeo Langford get a few minutes here or there before the rodeo road trip ended, before the All-Star break. And because it came down to the clutch, you didn't get to see them. It should have never come down to the clutch. So just tough for me to celebrate those wins. And so when I look at people sharing, you know, oh, the Spurs have the best net rating since the trade deadline. Man, who cares? They played some really bad teams. That's what you're supposed to do. And the Spurs, yeah. they're bad. They're down there. Like, they're down bad in their record. And they're, they're going to end up in the lottery. But they're not as bad as the Thunder. Like, their yeah. expected wins versus expected losses, they're supposed to be over 500. The only reason they're not is because they've been so bad in the clutch. So I don't know. Maybe I'm being too much of a pessimist, but I do think being realistic about where this team is is better for fans than telling them, oh, you know, they're they're going to the finals or, oh, man, they're <laughs> going to make that run to the playoffs. Like, yeah. I don't think that's going to happen. If they do, I'll eat crow. I'm 100% willing to eat crow if that happens. Yeah, and also shout-out to Vic Krejci. It's Krejci, you know. So it, yeah, I right when he said the name, when he said uh, Krejci or whatever he said, I was like, oh, okay, I know exactly who that is. I know exactly what that name is, where it comes <laughs> from. Uh, but what's it called? Yeah, I, um, I I agree with you, brother. I think right now they have – so they have three games remaining, the Wizards, the Heat, and the Grizzlies. Uh, I think they're going to go one and two. I think they're going to lose to the Heat and the Grizzlies. I think they're going to beat the Wizards. Um, and I think that's kind of just how this is going to end for them is – they're going to beat the bad teams that they should beat and they're going to lose to the good teams that they should lose to. If we're being honest, uh, that's just kind of where the Spurs are at. It isn't, you know, anything against them, but it's just, it's reality, right? Call a spade a spade. This is where this team is at. Again, not a bad thing. We, you, you can listen to our trade deadline episode again. If you want to kind of want to listen to the mentality of this team coming into this year, uh, from our perspective and kind of where they're headed, I think this is fine. Where they're at right now is fine. Beat those bad teams, be competitive against the good teams and hey whatever happens this year you're not preparing for the finals of the playoffs you're playing the long game now now we're looking for things that are beyond this season right so I think right now the Spurs and where they're headed is a couple of losses to the Heat and the Grizzlies a win against Washington and I mean they're going to round out they're going to round out over 500 for this uh rodeo road trip yeah or no, they'll, I think they'll be that right makes at, them 4-4. They'll be right yeah, at 400. Right at five, or 500, yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 500. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I remember, you know, a couple like a couple months back when we were talking, you know, back in December, I said the rodeo road trip could possibly be the end, right, for whatever they were going to do. <laughs> uh, you know, they went ahead and did some trade deadline stuff, you know, obviously. But I think just in general, being 500 from this, from this break is, I mean, it's as well as you could imagine for a team that's not going to make the playoffs, so. I think all in all, man, where the Spurs are at and kind of with the state of this team is a little bit of the same. 
Yeah, I agree with you there. I don't think that there's been any major change in expectations for this team. I don't think the trade deadline made them you know, so much better than they were before. It's about who they've played, how they're performing. I'm proud of what they've been able to do. And whatever they do for the rest of the season, I'm going to be happy with. Because I think when you look at the Spurs, it's a win-win situation really no matter what. For the most part, I would say it's going to be a win-win situation. So I think, Dame, if, if, if you're good, I think that about does it for today. So thank you. So much for hopping on the pod with me. Why don't you go ahead and plug anything you want. Let Spurs fans know where they can follow you on social media, where they can find all of your fantastic basketball and or football content. Yeah, guys, go ahead and follow me on Twitter. That's at D-A Bartonic. That's at D-A-B-A-R-T-O-N-E-K. Check out my podcast. Check out my Washington words, Spurs words. Check out everything we got at you know, SB Nation, Pound of the Rock. Man, they're fantastic, brother. So I'm going to kick it to Noah, and he's going to close out the show for us. Yeah, and you can find me on Twitter at N underscore Magaro, M-A-G-A-R-O. And you can also find my Spurs words at Pounding the Rock, some of my videos where we do Spurs film studies over on YouTube. It's just my name, Noel Magaro George. But again, thank you so much for joining me, and thanks to everybody who tuned into this edition of Alamo City Limits. And for those of you listening at home, make sure to subscribe. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. We've got a fantastic staff of writers over at Pounding the Rock who do a wonderful job of keeping everybody up to date with their favorite team. So check our stuff out. But until next time, Spurs fans, take care.